Hi, this is Tanya logging on to see Marga and Carla, even though we're not together in person right now. Hi, this is Carla. This is my last day in Manila, and I'm here talking with Tanya and Marga about what we did in the past year. I just can't believe it's been a year since the pandemic. We were all here together, and now Carla's leaving. Right, we did that one year yes. ago. Yes. So this is now the longest lockdown in the world and apparently the most militarized. Yes. Where do we go from here? Feels like a year but 10 years ago. 10 years. We've aged that much in a year. And yet, <laughs> yeah. it's like we haven't Language moved at all. Exactly. <laughs> the three of us this year will have things coming out that we would have worked on yeah. most yes. of our lives. Yeah. You're right. Your book, your restaurant, and my show. We're see is for my niece, and she just had her moving up day. Oh. Maybe this is our moving up day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Talk us through it, Cars. Like you looking back on the year that was a year ago, you were talking to us about starting your business, what a cloud <gasps> kitchen was. That oh became God, a huge success, it. and then now you're yeah. leaving all of your fans. Oh my God. So yeah. Giving them high and dry. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew that a cloud kitchen would be the way like a lot of people would do their business or like would keep people alive, literally, mentally and emotionally alive during that last year. It was more than I thought. <laughs> it was more than I thought it would be. To explain, like, Cloud Kitchen is basically you're running a business from your home using your kitchen at home. There is no physical space like yeah. a restaurant. And you were no. basically working in your apartment. Yes. There's no brick and mortar space in terms of serving a guest. It's cloud because everything is done through the internet. The ordering and all transactions are through the internet or through, how do you say that? Social media. My little business was very reliant on Instagram. And in the past two and a half or three months, more seniors were ordering from me. So I expanded <laughs> through Viber. So Viber was becoming a big source of orders as well and from seniors. How do you think this is changing the food industry permanently? Ah. Considering you're going back to open a brick and mortar place in the UK. Yeah. Someone just asked me that question the other day and I answered it in a sense like, I think this is now how things will be done in the future. Especially here in the Philippines, I'll quantify that. A lot of people are kind of foregoing the brick and mortar thing because they can't afford the monthly rent. They're going back to their own homes. You're eliminating that added rent expense, which in restaurant businesses are like is like 50% of the costs. Wow. Like here in the Philippines, it's 50%. Rent cost, and then maybe 30% food cost, and then 20% profit. It's nothing. I don't know how, how some of my friends here are keeping themselves viable when they still have their mga brick and mortar. A 30-seat restaurant at 10% capacity is three people. <laughs> it's just really going to change the whole thing. I think permanently. No front of the house, no buying uh, furniture to have a table, no buying glasses, plates. All that, or getting like a POS system, which is so expensive, or getting an air conditioner, or hiring other people to wait on the guests or to cook the food. It's mm -hmm. 
you cooking the food, you taking the order, and you wrapping it up, which was basically what I did the past year. What are the expectations of how that's going to change in London? Because you're opening a restaurant that's going to be, it's hotly anticipated there. Pizzeria Mozza. Pizzeria Mozza. Pizzeria Mozza. In London, obviously, a very different level of lockdown than the Philippines. What are you expecting? Or what have you been told uh, the situation is? Mozza will be in a hotel setting. So, I mean, I'm back to the hotel partnerships. They will treat us as an, an independent arm. There are three other outlets in the hotel itself. What they've been saying is that in all my conversations with them, is that they're so busy. Wow, people are dining yeah. in. There are still some restrictions. Like You can serve indoor, but only a percentage. Outdoor, of course, is like where everybody wants to be. So that's why the rooftop is booked. Fan busters. Every hour is a turn. Like they turn and burn. It's called wow. the moment you sit down. All those turns have already been called uh, spoken for. So the entire night is already booked up. Mm. There's still a little bit of curfew. They're turning the tables four times, which apparently has never happened to that restaurant. That's also why my bosses are pushing for us to get open so fast. All these people who have been cooped up for the year want to get out and they need to get out they want to capitalize on that the cloud kitchen like my biggest problem is how do i create more space for this so that i can do more things whereas here it's back to the daily operations of a restaurant and the drama that comes with it and also Uh, lots of people at once like in a year where we've mostly been isolated yes now you have to like work with people Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was telling my mom today, I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do anything without my mask, even if Fair. I'm fully vaccinated. Mm-mm. And because I don't know if the other person is fully vaccinated. Right. If they carry it, I can still get it. I won't die. But right. But also, what if there's a new yeah. thing that, and there will be a new thing that comes down the line? It's like... I had to ask my the HR what's our thing on masks? Mm. I know there's no more mask mandates. Well, soon enough, there will be none. He said, well, you know, our policy is you do whatever is comfortable for you. You cannot say you must wear a mask after the time when the, the mask ma- mandates lift. Really all up to us. I said, so is that clear to like people that we're trying to hire? Or is it going to be clear to the people that are going to come to our restaurant? Because I really kind of don't want to have to make that a topic of yeah like with some guests who you know become rude about it because you know you see all these people who the non-believers right or you know like this is my right night to have um, a face mask so there's that also and also i mean from me more from the staff i was more concerned like do i am i allowed to tell my staff you have to wear a mask or, mm-hmm. um, and will you, so you have you decided that you will do that I don't know. I don't, I really can't not wear one anymore. From my apartment to the trash can, I wear a mask. I don't see anybody, but I'm so yeah. afraid. Like, so, but you never know. Are you worried so, about the flight, the long flight? Uh, okay. I was not worried until about three days ago. The, the reason I got worried was because India oh. is on fire, right? So, yeah. Um, Singapore is kind of like a throughway to go from India to the rest of the world. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a hub. 
many of them will be playing with us probably to the UK yeah to the UK plus I'm going to London so yeah I'm a little worried about that they keep sending us emails to remind us about the protocols cannot remove the mask during the fight only when you eat mm. and drink but otherwise you must keep the mask on so even when you're sleeping it's fine mm. but indeed different now i mean it's like so- travel will never be the same you've had quite a year tanya you've had to launch a, a bunch of projects through online means i mean how has it been for you it's been good i mean it's you know i always count my blessings and our blessings because it's been so hard for so many people yes. and the fact yeah. that you know we were still able to work even while it while it's been the pandemic in the last year is already something i'm super grateful for plus family and friends that are around so the only thing that's changed is no travel right. but working like this meetings on it was skype and then became zoom and then now it's like whatsapp and like you know messaging still kind of been the norm but luckily also uh in indonesia we shot two films during the pandemic wow. so unfortunately i couldn't be on set right. but and it's very different it's better there's still things that are better where you're in person but then i had partners to kind of be on set when i couldn't be on set how do you mount the production during a pandemic you need to spend more money for covid protocols like carlos industry that's also going to be one of the changes going forward because i think and for the philippines and indonesia's kind of in a similar boat except that their vaccination drive is like i think more advanced than ours where you have to have maybe 20 to 30% additional that includes testing and things like are people going to be in a production bubble meaning no one in or out for a certain period of time exit testing there was a project where i'd heard like they had to recast somebody because one of their actors was positive oh wow. so then they It seems like that and this is now instead of just praying that the production goes well and that you get everything you're like please god don't let anybody get sick. <laughs> Which is a general prayer for everybody but at the same time it's just like the wrench that it throws in is just ironically when you know like streaming services need more content which then you need to supply more content it also just becomes that much harder to produce it during yeah. the pandemic. What did each of you feel like you learned from the year the year in lockdown in Manila about yourselves maybe how you feel about society or people in general because we didn't experience this earlier in our lifetimes you know with our grandparents and our parents they went through major upheavals like you know our grandparents with the world war and then our parents when you know some of them were babies also kind of that was the tail end of it we never i mean we had people power sure and that was major at the time but this is something that's really like a global thing it's not the same thing but it's kind of the same scale so it becomes a defining moment in not just one but several generations going forward it's interesting what will come after and i feel like there'll still be some processing i think we're still too much in the middle of it to really look back and like say oh this is how i feel about it i think we're right. still right in the middle of it we're all still trying to just survive it and get vaccinated and you know try to help get others vaccinated cars i realized that i don't really need a lot of things one i need new equipment like yeah. for the business and also new technology to catch up 
I can see that technology changed from last year to this year, mm-hmm. even within the small platforms that we use, like Instagram, you have to keep up with that. And then Skype right now, like always ever changing things, especially technology, even faster by now. Actual things, I don't really need a lot of that. Shoes, clothes, you know, those things, because really where are we, where are we going now? Although you're going and you're going to be in a place where people go and you're actually going to have to go out every day yes. to work. I know. And that's a little bit of a shock, maybe <laughs> walking to work or yeah. like getting on a bus or getting on a train or if I can feel safe enough on the scooter, I'll probably get that. I also learned that people really turn, <laughs> turn to food when the going gets tough. Mm-hmm. Like on the very like shallow level, they kind of get really addicted to it. Fad, you know, food yeah. fads. And also that every meeting can be an email. Correct. <laughs> and you can just be in pajamas and nobody will mind. That's it. We went back down to simple things again, which I kind of really like. I hope that we stay that way. Simple. Were there moments of kind of uh, depression or sadness or ennui in the last year? And how did you deal with that? I think I was lucky enough to be busy when it started. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of chugging along. I think it was after, you know, New Year's in 2021 where the difference became in terms of the vaccine, who was getting it, Mm. how fast they were getting it, and then where was the Philippines kind of in that scale. And we already knew we were kind of lagging and suffering because of like decisions made early on. But now it was worse because now you see people on your feed getting their second dose of like their choice of vaccine. And I said, I told somebody when I had a meeting with them, it's like vaccine envy is real. And also in terms of like, oh my gosh, I mean, we're still in the we're still in the thick of of a lot of different problems, and that kind of gets depressing when you see there's so many people really have it worse off. But you feel you do what you can to help, but you feel like it's never enough. And at the same time, you see people who don't have much, but they give, and yeah. that for me is like okay, that kind of you know kind of stems the tide, and it's like okay, there's hope if they can see through it to do that, then I just, even though I can't help everyone at once or we all can't, you know, solve the problem as quickly, every little bit counts. And otherwise, we won't get there if we don't try. (laughs) So, you know, that's also why I say it's like, it's hard to look back because we're still in the middle of it Mm -hmm. and it's still trying to figure out, okay, how are we pushing forward? It's like trudging forward in the sludge. And to speak to like, Carla saying where people turn to food. I think food right now, and I don't know if it's in the Philippines or around the world, it's the least guilty pleasure you can spend on because you have to eat. It sounds like you you kept busy, you helped out where you could, and that kind of also prevents you from slipping into some sort of uh, feeling of inability to do anything even for yourself, right? Yeah, there are pockets of that, of course, like, you know, no one's immune to that, especially with the situation. But, you know, I, in the in the beginning, to speak to Carla, even though while other people are having it tough, there was something freeing about not having to do the logistics of going out. Right. Because I realized there's so much stimulus that ends up, you don't realize it, you think, oh, I do it every day, like I get ready, I go out. 
But there's so much uncertainty anyway when you go out that yeah, I don't know if your brain thinks the same way, but you're, you know, sometimes maybe it's the producer thing where you're calculating like, okay, what are all the variables to get to what you need to do in that day? And that's just by going out to do like a full day. It's traffic. It's yes. meeting people. It's whatnot. And all the incidentals along the way. And, you know, cutting that out, cut out a lot of like, I'd say a good 60% of other things you had to think about that. Right. See, you know, now it's like, okay, that's extraneous to be like having to figure out like those variables. So like the key is kind of being a bit calm in that chaos, I think. Cars, you were going to, what were you saying? When I first started this thing, I, I decided I will find the joy in everything because of the dire situation that I didn't know then we were going to be in for so long. And when we first started the lockdown thing, like when I first decided to start this project, it's just to like refine my skill because I had all this time and bread takes time. So I said, okay, well, great. The only one way for me to practice is because I'm here, I'm stuck at home, I'll do the bread. But I didn't think that we would be doing this a year later. And, and it feels worse now. That first year, because I was so busy with the focaccia and the sourdough, I kind of didn't feel the fear or like the uncertainty or the anxiety coupled with the spread of the disease recently yes the anxiety has been real but i was lucky for myself that i said in the first year i won't panic Mm -mm. yeah for me coming in because before the lockdown i was flying in from jakarta and I already actually I took videos on the plane because I was like, mm, I don't know when I'm actually going to get yeah. to fly again. There was no like protocols yet. I was able to go straight home. But I did that isolation for two weeks, like literally right. in my room. It was kind of an insight to be like, ah, okay, this is how it's going to be. And then you think, I mean, it's, I think what got me through it, especially for most of the year, was just really kind of saying, oh, I have a space. It really right. helped to put it into perspective, right? Because I said, okay, the world is in the same boat. So no one's really going forward. Everyone's at the same space. Even though, you know, people were on track with the vaccine, then I was like, ooh, this is where it's going to separate. This this is where, like, countries and situations are going to separate in terms of who gets to do it ahead and who's not. It's basically all of humanity at stake. We can't right. just be like, one country gets it, but this other country, because they can't afford it, can't get it because it affects everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, that debate's going on right now in the UN, which I really am fascinated by it because there's also like, how much do the vaccines really cost? And how much are they charging for it? Basically, it should be accessible to like everybody and plan the rollout with a big picture perspective in terms of vaccinating the world. We didn't ask you, Marga, because it's me and Carla talking. Actually, you should say something about your (laughs) lockdown experience. And, you know, aside from your book, which is coming out and when you have to celebrate when it comes out. I finished it almost a year, two years ago. And then this last year gave me time to just re-edit it. So hopefully it'll come out end of December, according to the publisher. Now that it's kind of real... It's frightening because you're like, oh my gosh, people are going to read this. I don't have a particular audience in mind other than a general, ooh, I hope, you know, 
Filipinos who like to read will enjoy reading this. And then you kind of hope mm. you've written it in such a way that you haven't isolated the audience to just being one nationality and anybody else from around the world who reads in English will be able to enjoy right. the story because that's kind of how I've written it. Hopefully in a way that will be enjoyed by everybody regardless of whether they know the Philippines or not. Mm -hmm. But it's just scary. Suddenly it's scary because that's like 98,000 words that are going to be out there. Is it them. scarier to think strangers are going to read it or scarier to think that family and friends will read it? What's scarier to you? I think both. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's hard <laughs> because it. A, the, the one good thing is like I've had beta readers. I've had a few people read it just to make sure, mm. is this coming across? Are you getting it? Even if you know one was like not from the Philippines, does it make sense mm. to you? You know, that kind of thing. And there are people who have been like, oh, I, I know this character. This character sounds familiar to me. So everybody thinks they know somebody who that character must be based off of. Oh, like like a blind item? No, but, I really want to No, but that, which now, to me is like, okay. it's good because... You drew real. You drew them really, you know, like a real person, basically. Yes, because who do you think it is? Oh, it's so-and-so. I'm like, I don't even know who that person is. So it's good that everybody can relate somebody to it in that sense. So I appreciate that. And also then they can't just say it's very clearly this person or very clearly that person. Because it's not. I took a lot from, you know, you meet so many people, especially in the job I had, which was journalism. You meet right. all these characters and you hear all these stories. And I've basically thrown them all together in a way that I hope makes sense. You're a published author. That's crazy. This is your name. That's true. It's not even a byline. It's your, you know, name on the door kind of situation. With news, you're telling other people's stories and you let mm. them speak for themselves and you kind of just offer a platform. And suddenly yeah. I, I realize that I am responsible for every single word that I've put down yeah. on this blank sheet of paper. I feel the same paper. way. You totally. And, mm -hmm. and it was painful. Like the book itself took me like two, three years maybe to write before doing the re-edit. Re and every word, I literally, like every word that's there was very specifically chosen to be there. For some reason. Yes. You know? Yes. I hit the word count and then you're told, no, no, bring it down by this much. And I was like, huh? You know what I mean? Because it's not just a question of like cutting out words. It was like, if you cut yeah. out this word, it changes this. So you're having to make these edits just to hit a certain word count. And it was, that was hard. But it also made me more aware of not saying in 10 words what I apparently could have said in three. Without right, losing right. tone or texture yeah. or, you know. Like yeah. really, cut yeah. stuff out is so, you know, when you can do it well, it's yeah. great. Because you can get so lost in it. And there were moments where, I, you know, you step away. And then you go back and you're like, oh, when did I write that? Okay. And then you carry <laughs> on. But the whole exercise has been, it's what I've always wanted to do since I was five years old. Was write Oh my God. A book. It's really your moving up day. You know? Uh, <laughs> and I can't say the book was there since I was five, but I guess it took all this time to yeah. come together in a, in a, some sort of tapestry that I could put out there. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, I was still working in news and, um, one other reporter, I think, had retired or had left, still fairly young and in the middle of their career. And I had asked the cameraman I was happened to be working with who also knew the other reporter. And I was like, oh, well, what's that person yeah. going to go on to do? Ugh. Like every other reporter, apparently they're going to write a novel. <laughs> you know 
what I mean? And it was like, I felt so disheartened at that point. I thought, gee, really? So you mean all of us want to do that? You know what I mean? Every reporter is a frustrated novelist to the point that people make jokes about it. Like, I had I had not considered that, you know? And You're still, like, am I a fucking cliche? Exactly. Am I a cliche? <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, he turns to me, he's like, because you're not going to do that, right? No. Not yet. yet. Like, not yet. <laughs> What is it personally that you're looking forward to for each of you? We're not sure exactly how this year is going to play out, although we are already in May. So it's pretty much half the year that's been the same as last year. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier, actually. I will think about it without COVID. Ten years ago, when I first moved to Singapore, I was so busy trying to get the restaurant super successful because we all decided... Failure is not an option. Failure is not an option only meant one thing. I will work my ass off for it. And I will not take days off. I will not enjoy the place where I'm living. And then now that I'm not in Singapore anymore, I look back at it. I'm like, well, that wasn't that bad. You know, like everything worked. So now I'm going to go into another first world country, 10 years older. Do I still have the stamina for it? That's my biggest question. Do I still have stamina for this new job? And... It turns out that it might not be physical stamina, but my mental stamina is the same. Wow. I actually know what to do. In Singapore, we were kind of like, well, what are we going to do? We were making it up as we went. So now that that worked, and I know that Singapore was like really good and acclaimed and everybody's missing that restaurant and everybody's saying it's like not the same without it. So now I know I'm like, well, I can do it again in mm-hmm. another place so now my thing is i'll enjoy it now and especially in london many people say it's the greatest city in the world people love it and so now i'm like well i'm gonna enjoy that because it will lead to more things i'm also not young anymore so like maybe permanence there not anymore nomad i kind of don't want to feel like that anymore i feel now like even for the three of us like you know at this stage in life Normally, like a friend moving away when 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 we were younger, it felt it felt like forever. Like you'll never see them forever. The three of us have had a friendship through different countries. Countries, that's true. Yeah. I mean, aside from this, we'll just see each other in different places. And with that, we say goodbye to Chef Carla from Manila as she begins a new life in my old hometown of London. We wish you well, Cars. Keep your eyes peeled for announcements on Tanya's latest project, soon to be on your favorite streaming service. And I'll keep you posted on my upcoming book release. I'm Margot Artigas, thanking you for joining us on this special podcast episode of About That. We hope wherever you are, you're doing well and staying healthy.